Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to this week's episode of My Friends Do Dope Shit. I'm Sasha Exeter. I cannot tell you how excited I am about today's guest, actor, producer, podcaster, activist, mental health advocate, and the list just goes on. She was on the top of my wish list. Welcome, Corinne Fox. Oh, thank you so much. You do so much good in the world. And that's one of the things that radiates and leaps off of your Instagram page. And my entire team, we're just all huge fans of you. What really sparked the, that light inside of you to want to do so much good and to want to share so much with so many people? Hmm, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. I feel like I was born into a very unique situation where people were interested in what I was doing, what I had to say, um, really without me wanting them to be interested in it. My dad is an actor, a very famous actor. And so people were always looking to me like, what is she going to do next? What is, what's going to come from her? And I realized at a young age that I felt like I had a responsibility because I've been given a platform to lead people to things that were enlightening and empowering. And I reached out to the National Alliance on Mental Illness in 2017. And I said, hey, you know, I have an anxiety disorder. I would love to partner with you and talk about mental health because it's something that I struggled with. And I felt like at the time, yes, now there's a conversation for it. And people are, you know, there's hashtags and there's self-care Sunday and there's all this stuff that's going on. And brands are, you know, having their own wellness uh, lines and things like that. But at the time... In 2017, that wasn't really happening yet. And so I just felt like I have a responsibility because I have people looking at me to guide them the things that are going to help them and make them feel good. And I, I don't know. I mean, I think I don't know where that came from, but but I just felt like that was what I had to do. Well, I think probably where some of that comes from is you just being a really authentic person, feeling comfortable in your own skin and just owning it. And maybe you I don't know, maybe you felt like you just kind of fell into that being the nature of the family that you grew up in, but you just seem very sure of yourself. And I don't 
think you're very insecure. So, oh my gosh, I'm glad that I come off that way because there is no <laughs> way do I do it. I'm super. I mean, as a as a young woman, you 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 go through phases, and I do think it comes with age, though. You know, I, there was many years where I hid the fact that I had anxiety. I was terrified to let my peers know, my friends know, even my college boyfriend know. I would have panic attacks and just sit there by myself and not tell anybody in the room. And so, I do think as you get older, you come more into yourself, you're more comfortable in your skin and you stop desiring to be somebody else and really realize you're stuck with yourself. And so you better love yourself and own that. And, and so I think it is something that came with age, but I I cannot lie to you, girl. I am, I have <laughs> moments where I'm shaking in my boots, where I'm super nervous, where I'm definitely feeling insecure. But I think talking about my mental health is something that I just, I grew into. So I kind of want to talk about the Girl Up project because that's one that speaks a lot to me. And I don't think that there's really anything cooler or more dope than girls that are for other girls and uplifting and empowering other women. So talk to me about your importance with Girl Up. Yeah, so Girl Up is a United Nations foundation that's dedicated to empowering young women to become leaders and advocates. And I got involved with them around the same time that I got involved with NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness in 20. 16 or 2017. And I have two little sisters. They are 13 and 14. So I'm way older than them. But I was doing all of this advocacy work and I went to college and all this stuff. And I really realized that I wanted my little sisters to feel like they could do anything in this world. And also that they had a voice that could be heard. And that is exactly what Girl Up is doing. It's um, implemented in a lot of high schools in America. And it's teaching young women how to be advocates. What's going on in the world? What's going on to young girls at their same age in a different country and how to care about them and what we can do here to help them. And so I've been working with Girl Up for a long time. I did a PSA with them and um, I really do it for my little sisters. So circling back more towards mental health issues, like you touched on that a little bit, um, I would like to hear a little bit more about your personal journey. I had a, a really tough two years, like everyone did, but I had some other external pressures and Last year, it all came to a head and I, I had a public meltdown, like a public breakdown where I, I had passed out. I could not see in front of me and I was on the street corner and oh. I call it a breakdown. But in hindsight, I now think of it as a breakthrough. And I had been struggling for so long and I'm just kind of upset with myself for not feeling comfortable to talk about how I was feeling to other people just because, you know, as you said, mental health issues, anxiety and depression and all those things are, were so taboo. Yeah. And if you're a public figure or well-known, especially if you exude confidence and strength, you feel like you have to live up to that. Yeah. And that I think was a big problem for me. So how long were you suffering? What was that moment where you knew that you had to get help? And then what were the next steps after that? Yeah, well, just first of all, I, I want to say thank you for sharing what you've been through. And I think it's very, I, I want to highlight you saying that it wasn't a breakdown, it's a breakthrough. Something I've learned in therapy is that my anxiety 
is my friend. It's trying to tell me something. It's trying to tell me that something's wrong, that something I'm not looking at something that I need to heal. I need to slow down. I don't think of those moments as moments of weakness. It's it, it's a moment of, uh, of having that awakening of like, oh my gosh. Whoa, hold on. <laughs> you know? No, I've never, ever heard about that in that perspective. That's mind blowing. Yeah, that's something that that 14 years of therapy gets you. Um, but I was I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder when I was 14. And again, like I said, at the time, there was no conversation for mental health. I was absolutely terrified of my friends thinking that I was the C word, which is crazy. So I, I hit it and I was going to therapy regularly. I was doing workbooks at home by myself and hiding them under my bed so that my friends wouldn't see them when they came home. So I was on this healing journey, but I didn't feel safe enough to tell my friends. And that bled all the way into college. And it, it wasn't until 2017. So I, I suffered in silence for a very long time until I finally felt called to speaking on it. And I can't fully describe the moment, but I think you, you know, maybe after years of therapy, I just felt like, okay, I have a handle on this beast and now I can talk about it. And did you feel before, because you were living in secret, basically, that you didn't feel like you were being yourself? Oh. And like, how did that impact your relationships? Like you said, you had a a boyfriend in college. How did that affect that romantic relationship that you had with him? Well, it's extremely isolating, right? And when you're feeling anxious, you're not, you know, feeling your best self. And so if your partner doesn't understand why you're acting a certain way and you don't have the words or the tools to be able to communicate with them, you know, what's going on, there is that, um, you know, there's a disconnect there. And I'm sure a lot of my loved ones felt like I was really closed off, but it was really just me protecting myself and protecting this experience that I was having that I didn't feel safe enough to divulge to them. But I will say when I did come out (laughs) to my, you know, boyfriend at the time and my friends, it was like the floodgates opened. There were so many people that reached out to me and were like, thank you for saying something. I'm actually the same dealing thing with or something similar. I'm actually dealing with that. Wow. Yes. And I, I actually came forth with my anxiety disorder in an article with Refinery29. And I had girls DMing me. I had girls in my sorority that I didn't really know. Like, thank you for saying something. And I realized people are craving connection and conversation. They just need somebody just to, to start, you know? And so many people are suffering in silence and they're just dying for somebody to be the one to speak up or raise their hand first. And once you do that, just... It gives other people permission. Correct. So mental health in the BIPOC community is kind of tricky and a slippery slope. I have a Caribbean heritage and that just doesn't exist even still to this day, like (laughs) still learnings. How was your family... When you were navigating all of this, were they supportive? Was were they learning along with you? Yes. So I'm biracial. So my my mother is is white, and then obviously I, I have the the black side of my family. And I will say they were all supportive in me seeking help, going to therapy, talking it out. But when it came time to speaking about it publicly, I will say there was resistance from the black side of my family. It was. Hey, you know, 
we're so happy for you, but this isn't something we talk about publicly. This isn't something, you know, we can keep it in the family, but we don't have to talk about it, you know, with everyone. And it wasn't, it didn't feel like they weren't supportive. It just felt like they were scared. Like they didn't have the words and the tools that I had been gaining through therapy to be able to talk about their emotions. And then once they saw me do it anyways and see the feedback, they were like, we get it. Yeah. We get it. Yeah. Being black, we've had to face so much adversity. Exactly. Yeah. And we have to be so strong and exude these pillars of strength all the time. So I think for our families, they view mental health as being a little bit of a weakness. And it's probably a protective thing where they want to protect you or protect me and they don't want us to be truly vulnerable about this. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree with what you're saying. You know, we've been oppressed so much. You don't want one more thing that could hold you down. And so I understood where they were coming from and I understood their fear. But I think I just had to be the person to show them that there is strength in community and conversation and that talking about these issues isn't a weakness, it's a strength. Totally. And so is being vulnerable, I believe. Yeah. There's strength in that. Let's chat therapy. Oh, I love therapy. So I'm like- <laughs> I love it. New into the therapy world. So I've only been. Oh, you are? I am like a year and a half in. It took me, I'm 41. I don't know why it took me this long, but it, yeah, as I said, there's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of stigma. And I didn't really have the support that I needed to take that leap. I think when I got into it, I didn't actually have a fucking choice. It was like, do this or you will not be able to work and, and be a parent and do all the things that you need to do to show up every single day. But like, girl, you a veteran. You're doing this for like 14 <laughs> years. So. I know. My therapist is always like, um, Corinne, you really don't need to do a session. Like you really could just figure this out yourself. Cause at this point I feel like I've learned every like tool in the toolkit. So she's just like, yeah, Corinne, you just talk to yourself and I'll just be here to chime in every now. So <laughs> how has it changed over the decade and a half? Yeah. So I've had the same therapist since I was 14. I'm 28 now. So Half of my life. Half your life. This woman isn't even my therapist anymore. She's my friend. She's my mom. She's, you know, all of these things. But but um, I also have another therapist that I actually just got last year because I felt like I, I needed somebody just with a new perspective. You know, your therapy sessions change with you. And the reason I can be in therapy for 14 years is because my struggles when I was 14 and, you know, my high school boyfriend and oh, like he does he love me? That changes. And now I'm in college and I have pressure and who am I going to be in this world? And now I'm 28 and I have different pressures. And so it's always evolving with you and it's evolving with how you grow. But I found it to be the safe space for me to talk about my darkest thoughts to talk about even the greatest things that are happening to me. Because even in times I've found when good things are happening to you, at least for me, sometimes I get anxious with that too. I'm like, oh wow, everything's going well. Too good. Uh-oh. What's going to happen next? When, yeah. Yes. And I have to work through that in therapy. <laughs> I'm like, there's so much good stuff happening and now I'm scared and now I can't rest into it and I can't enjoy it because I'm so worried that something else is going to happen. And so, you know, I think therapy can be applicable to everyone. You don't have to be diagnosed with something. And I think the stigma is that if you go to therapy, something is wrong with you, yeah. which is absolutely not the case. No. 
I think it should be mandatory. I wish the government would just (laughs) give a grant so people can have at least, you know, six sessions free every year. I hold out hope for Canada to do something (laughs) like that. In America, absolutely not. It's not happening out here. (laughs) But maybe with you guys. So being in therapy for that long, you obviously have an excellent toolkit to navigate the challenges. So what are like some of your coping mechanisms? I know from doing some creepy creeps on your Instagram that you used to like keep like notes in your phone and you would like kind of just jot down the things that made you anxious or the things that didn't make you anxious and made you feel better so that you can come back to those things. I think when you're in the middle of a, of a bad situation, whether that's depression, anxiety, any of the other things, um, it's hard to remember all of the things that make you feel good. And so what I learned, um, I have this note in my phone that you're referencing. Uh, it's called Corinne's Guide to Wellness. That's and it. every time, that's yes. It. And every time I did something that made me feel better, I was like, put it in my phone because if I'm having an anxious moment, I'm not going to remember this. So it's things like for me, exercise. I love exercising. It gives me endorphins. I feel better after I do it. Meditating. I love to meditate five to 10 minutes a day. It really changes my brain. So that's another thing. But even like socializing, reaching out to friends, if you're depressed, you go inwards and you don't remember, oh my gosh, I have to see a friend. Or um, I even have like art, dancing, um, moving, painting. That's something for me that gives me a lot of relief. Listening to music too. And I think it's really important to have it on your phone because like you can reference it whenever, wherever. And your toolkit will look different. Like what are some things that help you when you're not feeling great? Honestly, I have to walk. Yeah, walking. Like I walk, like it, and not always to music or to a podcast. Like this morning, I walked and I just, mm-hmm. it was like ASMR. I just wanted to hear my feet against the gravel. And I live on the waterfront. So the crashing of the waves of the lake, people throwing stones, and the, the occasional dog bark. But like, yeah, walking, breath work, meditation, yoga, like headstands and specifically. I can. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'll impressive. just, I'll just be in a headstand and inversion for 10 or 15 minutes and it'll just change the rest of my day. I think it's really important that like everyone's toolkit looks different. Like there's no way I'm doing an inversion. Like I can't, <laughs> <laughs> not if my life depended on it, but it's good to know that that works for you. And I think a lot of people have to be prepared that when you start healing, there's going to be trial and error. There's going to be things that work for you. Things that don't. You know, I've done hypnotherapy. I was like, oh, have not you? for me. Yeah. I was like, doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> um, and I've done like acupuncture, which I wanted to work so bad and it never, it never does. So um, I think you have to be willing and really dedicated to your treatment and to your healing and just be willing to risk that some things aren't going to work. But once you find the things that do put it on your phone, write it down and add it to your toolkit and keep it in rotation. But also to be open because some things that you think probably wouldn't work for you, if you're open-minded about it, you might be overwhelmed and shocked about how well it does. Yeah. We'll be right back. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back to My Friends Do Dope Shit. Let's talk about chronic pain. You have endometriosis. I have fibromyalgia. Not obviously not the same thing, but I think that people that suffer from chronic pain illnesses have a common thread where we're often dismissed. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you feel, but for me, I just have a hard time speaking to people about my, and I have other chronic illnesses as well, but fibromyalgia specifically because pain is something that you can't understand unless you're actually living it. Yeah. So how long have you been dealing with endometriosis and how has having physical pain or physical ailment, how has that impacted your mental health? Yeah. It's so funny you bring that up. And and first of all, I'm sorry that you deal with chronic illness because I understand that pain and I understand um, feeling isolated and not being able to explain it to people. But I think it's funny you bring it up, the connection between chronic illness and mental health, because I'm working with my two organizations right now, which is the Endometriosis Foundation of America and NAMI. And we're actually working to create a campaign right now about that connection because it does affect your mental health, living in pain, living with an invisible illness. And I'd like to say, I think for people who are listening who are like, well, I don't have a chronic illness. If you're a person who has a uterus that bleeds every month, yes, you do. Okay. (laughs) Hello. You do. It is chronic. You feel cramps. You feel tired and worn down and yet you have to go and face the world. So I would just like to put that out there that it doesn't have to be, um, you know, something that's big and scary. Just being a person with a uterus is is enough. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I feel like, uh, my personal journey is I was dealing with endometriosis slowly got worse and worse since I got my period when I was, you know, what I was 12 and it got to the point where I was in so much pain and I was going from doctor to doctor to doctor and being told, no, you're fine. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. And it's hard to advocate for yourself. It's hard to go up to a doctor who's got a degree and say, no, like you need to listen to me. You are wrong. And it wasn't until my sixth or seventh doctor that I even heard the word endometriosis. And it was a very traumatic diagnosis journey. And then I ended up having surgery that has honestly changed my life. Yeah, I I just want to speak about my experience because it is way too similar to so many other women's journeys. I think it takes a woman an average of 10 years to get an endometriosis diagnosis. Wild. From the onset of symptoms. And also disturbing, I was poking around and doing some reading up on Below the Belt, and I saw some like startling fact about how many women a year, and I don't know if it was like one in 
10 or something like it's one in 10, one in 10 lose their jobs because of the symptoms that they have. Yeah. And I have a couple friends that have endo and one of my best friends, actually, she messaged me this morning to wish me luck on the interview today. And I said, Hey, listen, like you need to check this out. So I sent her your, that post that you posted below the belt. I'm like, take a look at this. And she was literally just bawling her eyes out. Oh. The scars obviously brought back memories for her and very traumatic. And she was undiagnosed for over 20 years. Um, and her journey was long and painful and unnecessarily drawn out. And she was just blown away, as am I, about how honest and candid and vulnerable and amazing you are about bringing awareness to this. Well, I mean, yeah, I feel like I, when I was going through my endometriosis journey, I leaned on other people's experience so much to just know that I wasn't alone. I mean, it's the same thing with the mental health thing. When I was just reading other women's stories, reading other women's experiences, it was like, okay, at least there's someone out there that gets it. There's someone out there that understands this, that has been through this. And I'm, I'm going to be okay. There's a way out. And so I felt like once I had my surgery, which is, you know, I have the same scars, I connected with my surgeon and was just like, what can we do? And my surgeon, Dr. Iris Orbuck, who is incredible, connected me to the film Below the Belt, which I'm an EP on alongside. Yeah, congratulations. Um, thank you. I'm very, very excited about it. Um, I'm, I'm EPing with Hillary Clinton on it. Which what? Is just, Isn't that insane? It's so insane. And it's so important because her lending her name gets eyes on this project and it gets eyes on this cause and this mission and what we're asking for, which is more money on research and more money to educate doctors on the signs and symptoms so that when someone walks into their office and they give them their symptoms, they know it's endometriosis because a lot of gynecologists are just not trained on what even endometriosis is. And it affects one in 10 women, by the way. That we even know of that are diagnosed. There's probably so So many many more that that are undiagnosed. So what's your hope for the endo community and what would be your words of advice for those women out there that are feeling lost or isolated and alone? I just believe that we shouldn't settle on pain being normal. And I don't want women or people who have uteruses to assume that they have to live their life in pain. And I just want there to be a clear crystal crystal clear way, at least in the American healthcare system, that you can get treatment for your pain. It takes a lot. It's on a lot of different levels. There's research, there's education, there's educating young women at the start um, when they start learning about their bodies so that they know the signs and symptoms. So there's a lot of work to be done to get there, but the Endometriosis Foundation of America and people like, um, you know, Shannon Cohen, who's, who's doing this, um, documentary are really doing the work and I'm just there to help them with whatever I can. Your involvement is doing a lot and little by little, and hopefully we'll see a little bit more change. Um, I do want to talk a bit about family. And I know in the past, growing up when you were younger, you had thoughts about changing your last name and kind of wanting to not be disassociated with dad, but just kind of be your own person. And you had a bit of difficulties being related to him so often. For those of you that don't know, Corinne's 
amazingly talented father is Jamie Foxx. And you've opened up quite publicly about having a famous parent is not as great as it's cracked up to be. And for you, perfectionism is something that has plagued you for a long time. So how have you unpacked that over the years? And what was that moment where you felt like, okay, this is it. This is what it's going to be. He's my dad. He's awesome. I'm proud of him. I'm proud of my last name. And I'm just going to be along for this journey and still be my own person. Yeah. You know, I, I think I really struggled as a kid, as, as any kid would, you know, growing up in the limelight. My, first of all, my parents did a really good job at making my life as normal as possible. I wasn't driving around in a limo all day long. You yeah. know, I had chores, I had jobs, you know, they tried to distance me as much as they could, but I did always feel like people were looking at me. And because of that, I think kids in that position can go one of two ways, which is like, you know, going one way, which is, you know, partying and and trying to cope in that way. And I kind of did the opposite where I was like, well, if everyone's looking at me, I'm never going to mess up. I'm never going to screw up. And it created this perfectionist kind of complex where I never wanted to be rude. I never wanted to, and I still don't want to be rude, of course, but I I wouldn't stand up for myself in times when I should have, because I just wanted to be seen as the nice, sweet, humble girl at all times. And it got to the point where when I was going to college, I thought, hmm, I wonder if I should change my last name so that I get a fair shot with kids. I do feel like, you know, people see my last name and then they want to be friends with me or they want something from me. They want to see what my dad can do. And I, I always just wanted to be given a fair shot. You know, I always wanted people to like me for me and not for him. Not that I don't love my dad and think the world of him, but it is, you know, a bit of a burden when you can't tell if people are being genuine with you or not. And so that's where that came from. And I never ended up going with it. And it was really just a thought that had passed my mind. But then I started working with my dad. We do the show Beat Shazam together. We had a Netflix series we EP'd together. And I absolutely adore working with him. And I'm so proud of the work he's done, the legacy he's created in Hollywood. And I'm like, why would I shy away from that? That is something to be proud of. Having his last name isn't something that is holding me back. It is propelling me forward. And it it did take me time to grow into it, though. You know, you go through that teenage phase where it doesn't matter if your parent is famous or not. You just don't want anything to do with that. No, because you think that they're horny as hell. You're like, get away from me. You're so embarrassing. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Which is how we came up with the show, Dad Stop Embarrassing Me for Netflix. Which is that. And even though my dad's famous, it does not give him uh, a clear pass to not embarrass me. Okay. So if anything, he was more embarrassing because he drew attention to himself, which you never want your parent to do when you're 16. You know, you're like, please just fade away into the background, you know? So you're on season five of Beach Shazam. Oh my gosh. It is, it's the best job in the world. It is so fun. I can't believe we have a fifth season. And what I was really surprised about when we started doing the show is if you guys don't know, Beach Shazam is a game show where you guess the lyric, you guess the song title of a song before Shazam does. So fun. Yeah, it's super fun. But what I wasn't expecting was my relationship to the contestants. Really? And seeing real people. Imagine being in the room with someone who just won a million dollars. Their entire life just changed. And of course, we vet our contestants and we make sure they're people that deserve it, that, that have a great story, that could really use it. And 
I get so emotional because I'm like, this is real life. This is somebody's life changing forever. And it's, it's very overpowering in the room. So it is such a blessing to do. My dad's a riot. He's on 24 seven doing jokes, singing, dancing. The, the audience is coming down in between breaks and break dancing. It's, that it's sounds literally like party. so much fun. It is a party. <laughs> so from a young age, you've basically had a front row seat to both like the highs and the lows of fame. And you've kind of, you're navigating your own path. What are some of the boundaries or strategic moves that you made to make sure that you kind of avoid those hazards or those missteps? I think 100% is the people that I surround myself with. My dad, he's friends with every famous person in the industry, but his close day-to-day friends are the people he grew up with, are his college buddies, are the comedians that he was going on tour with. He keeps his close circle to people that really know him and really love him. And I'm doing the same thing. And so, yes, I work on set. I work with other actors. I'm friends with people. But I like to keep my close-knit group of people that I can lean on close to me and being people that aren't in the industry. I don't know what, like, that doesn't surprise me at all. And I could totally see that. You seem extremely grounded. (laughs) Thank you. I I try to be. Yeah. Would your co-host on your podcast be like one of your longtime friends? Yeah, Natalie. She's adorable. Natalie McMillan, right? Yes, McMillan. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you got her name right. I would say McMillan. Um, (laughs) Yes. I've, um, I've known her since I was 14 when we went to summer camp together That's adorable. and we became best friends at a filmmaking camp. And then we started our podcast almost two years ago. Am I doing this right? So how did the podcast project come about? Well, Natalie and I, uh, we're, we're both 28 and we just found ourselves calling each other all the time. We'd be doing our taxes. We'd be like, girl, am I doing this right? Are you doing this right? And I'd be like, okay, I got to get health insurance. Am I doing this right? Am I? And then we were like, okay, we cannot be the only ones asking this. We are college graduates. We are smart young women. And yet there is so much that we have not been taught about being an adult and like how life works. They don't teach you that in university, which is wild to they me. They do not. It's crazy. So and so we thought, okay, let's do a podcast where we figure out all of these life, you know, how to's, but let's make it fun. Let's have a glass of wine every episode where we kind of rate and review it while we go through maybe topics that you don't want to learn about, but you have to learn about like mortgages, all types of different things. And so it's a lot of fun. We learn a lot of things. We did an episode on like NFTs and cryptocurrency, but it's not like listening to a TED talk. It's like you're catching up with your best friend at drinks. Your girlfriends. Yes. And we're making jokes and there's pop culture references and it's a a really fun way to learn things that maybe you don't want to learn. So earlier in our chit chat, you talked a bit about insecurity and not always feeling confident. Do you ever feel like you suffer from like imposter syndrome? Oh gosh. Every day. (laughs) Stop. All the time. I'm living it right now with this podcast. Yeah. It's because you're expanding yourself. (sighs) You know, you have to, you have to be, to be able to grow, you have to expand, but then you're, you you expand and you feel like a little baby and you're like, "Uh Oh, what do I do? And I shouldn't be here. But that's just you stepping into your next level of greatness. Why are you so wise at 28? <laughs> Minus the 14 years of therapy. It's that therapy. That's what I'm saying. You got to sign up. If you're listening right now, you got to sign up. <laughs> so, okay. So wh- how do you like 
tackle self-doubt. Like I've been like visualizing and I understand that we speak to ourselves 30,000 times a day. So I use a lot of affirmations more so now as I've started the podcast, because I'm a little bit out of my normal wheelbase or wheelhouse, if you will. But like, how do you overcome like the negative thinking when it does pop up? I realize you kind of have a choice. You're going to be scared no matter what. And do you want that fear to hold you back? Or do you want it to propel you forward? Ooh. And so I'd rather be scared in a situation where I'm expanding than to be scared under, you know, my blanket in my bed. And so I kind of have to decide how I'm going to channel fear because I, I think it's hard to say, well, it is, it's hard to talk yourself out of it. It's hard to be like, you know, do your affirmations. I am successful. I am powerful. Yes, you can do that, but you're, you got to know that you're going to be scared if you're expanding yourself. And so I think just making peace with that and working with it instead of trying to get rid of it until all of a sudden it's faking it till you make it, you know, all of a sudden you're like, wow, wait, I'm not scared of this anymore. I've also come to realize that fear is kind of a good thing too, because it means you care. Mm -hmm. You actually like give a shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all the times that I've been fearful of something or scared, that's when I've experienced the most success out of something. I've always yielded the most success when I've pushed past that, that point of fear. Yeah. Cause it's, an, it's important to you and it's a big deal. And it, if you didn't care, then you maybe wouldn't even do as much of a good job. Right. Cause it would just be so easy. Yeah. What's coming up. Can you give us some tea? Like what, what are you working on? Yeah. Um, so I recently sold a television show that I wrote to ABC studios. So, um, that's kind of my big, my big, no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't sew and trail I can't off. say too much about it, which is why I'm trying to, I'm like, okay, let me just say that and then run away. That little bit. Okay. Okay. That's major. I'm very, very excited about it. Um, I've been working on this project for about five years and I just, uh, I sold it in December and um, I'm like, kind of, sort of, I can kind of say a little bit about it, but that is something that I'm really excited to lean into as a producer and a writer and, uh, you know, doing more EP stuff. You're so badass. So how do, <laughs> how do you celebrate yourself? Like when you have these accomplishments, whether they're like big or small, like what do you celebrate your wins? And if you do, how do you celebrate? I think I'm lucky enough to have loved ones that like to celebrate me. So I don't know if I would initiate it, but my boyfriend, anytime anything happens, he cooks me a meal, he gets wine, we do that. And then my dad is such a celebration kind of guy. He's Mr. Party. I saw him at your birthday party doing the absolute most. Oh, he does the most photos. at all times. He's always doing the most. <laughs> and so if you give him, if, I have to be careful with when I tell him good news because he's like, where are we going? Where are we going? How are we, how are we celebrating? What do you want to do? I'm sending champagne. I'm sending, when I, when I, was it when I sold the show? It was like I found out at like a not like 9 p.m. and my dad drove over to my house, which is like 45 minutes away from him, just to toast me. But that's so <laughs> cute though. Yeah. I, so I think I'm really, really blessed to have people that love me and care about me and that want to celebrate me because I, I don't know if I would initiate all of that. As you get older, you will realize the importance of celebrating yourself. You can't 
always depend on the people around you to do that for you. Yeah. And it's not only the big things that you need to be celebrating, it's the small wins too. So just try and remember that. Yeah. It's something that I definitely have to get better at. I think it's, I think growing up the way that I did, I didn't like to draw attention to myself because it felt egotistical, but that's not the case, you know, to celebrate Mm -hmm. your wins in life is an egotistical and it's something I definitely have to work on. Well, you're a dream (laughs) to speak to. You're so charming, intelligent, inspiring. Thank you so much. This podcast is all about highlighting people doing dope shit. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask you if you could suggest three people that you think are doing dope shit that me and the listeners should know about. My friend, Asia Mayrock, she's a poet and uh, a writer and an author, and she's absolutely incredible. She does beautiful spoken word um, on the female experience and being a woman in this world. And I just think she's so incredible. She also wrote a television show that she just sold. Sorry, Asia, I don't know if I was supposed to say that, um, but, but she's so smart and awesome. Just thinking of poets right now, I love uh, Morgan Harper Nichols. Uh, I love her. She's incredible, right? Who's Who's fabulous, who I just really look up to. I mean, what's coming to mind is I think um, AOC, I really look up to her a lot. Um, mm-hmm. She's, I that's don't know, a yeah, she's an American congresswoman. You know, a lot of the work that I do that's really important to me relies on legislation getting passed and relies on people like her to push it forward. Things like mental health bills and endometriosis research bills. And so uh, I lean on her and I trust her to, to fight for me because I wish I could be in Congress. <laughs> You're amazing. Thank you so, so much for holding space and time for me today. Thank you for having me. And congratulations on this podcast. It's so wonderful. And you're a great, great host. Stop. You are. I just got goosebumps. Oh my God. Thank you. Well, we'll all be watching and cheering for you. And I'm just really excited to see what you do next. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening. For more episodes, subscribe to My Friends Do Dope Shit on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends and make sure to leave a rating and a review. My Friends Do Dope Shit is produced by Entertainment One. The director of programming at E1's podcast network is Sasha Tong. Executive producers, Deborah Belcourt and Sasha Tong. Producer, Allison Bruff. Associate producers, Adrian Muhajirin and Chris Chu. Edited and mixed by Adrian Muhajirin. Hosted by me, Sasha Exeter. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.